Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of going from high tech to high fantasy. This week, we are talking about uh, bringing Fringeworthy and any other high tech kind of game into a fantasy world. Those of you who've been with uh, our podcast for quite some time know that we've had a lot of, of podcasts in the past where we talked about bringing Fringeworthy into Spiral the, 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 the Dragon and into Pokemon World and into uh, the Dragons of Corrin, you know, uh, uh, Dragonlance, and, and a number of other ones, okay? And we've also talked uh, a little bit about the, the idea of, of trading between a world like Fringeworthy and uh, uh, Bureau 13, or even Fringeworthy and a, a world that's medieval. Okay, so uh, we're not gonna we're gonna try not to cover that territory again uh, because we. And if you haven't heard those, please you know, look at our uh, search our uh, podcast list and check those out. Um, we refer to those as uh, uh, gaming and somebody else's intellectual property. Or adding Fringeworthy, or adding Fringeworthy 2, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, that was, yeah. Right, adding Fringeworthy 2, dot, dot, dot. So uh, in this particular case, what we wanted to do is talk about how, uh, you know, how the high-tech and, and fantasy tech actually works together and how it can change some stuff uh, because, you know, and, and how it works out in a real campaign, because I and my personal campaign have just gone through this. Uh, we, uh, in Fringeworthy, there is a really big group of, of, uh, of a, a sort of a competing Fringeworthy group called the Coptics, which are based upon uh, a, 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 a historical group of uh, Egyptian Christians who, assuming that they essentially became the new Holy Roman Empire and things moved up into the 1950s, uh, what would that world be like and what would they be like, assuming that they maintained their religious fur? So we're really talking about a highly religious a group that, uh, but has not, not super tech, but modern tech, okay? Uh, and... One of the things, you know, so we, in the game that we were running, we said, okay, look, these guys are working their way toward the area of influence that is fringeworthy with the new Commonwealth uh, and the, the players. And and so IDET, uh, or the IDA, uh, the Interdimensional Authority, comes to the team and says, look, okay, you know, we I know we all, you know, believe in, in the the rules of engagement from the UN and stuff like that, but these people are not going to stop. These people need to be stopped. We you know we need to draw a line in the sand. We need to make sure that they don't get any further closer to us, or we're gonna have some real trouble in uh, you know in 
I'm not quite sure when, but definitely within the next uh, 50 years, maybe. Uh, so let's not do that. Uh, you guys need to go out there and do whatever it takes to stop them, to convince them to not try to expand in this direction anymore. And we think we found a spot that could really work for you. And that is the location that we previously have said is where Forgotten Realms, the D&D &D property from TSR and now Wizards, uh, exists. It is a node on the fringe paths. Whatever you got to do, they're, they're, they've got magic there, and we've already seen that magic can make a big difference. So, uh, because of the Bureau Thirteen world, so let's see see if you, with your high tech and their magic, can somehow come up with a extra goodness. You know, uh, again, the the you know the the chocolate and the peanut butter, the peanut butter to chocolate to stop this. Uh, essentially uh, rolling juggernaut of, of religious imperialism. No, it's not the fervor, it's the imperialism. Uh, and, and make them, if they're going to expand, expand away from us, not toward us. So the team says, okay, sure, fine. You know, and they said, now you understand that you may be forced to do some stuff that is not considered kosher in the IDA, so we also are going to disavow you if you're ever caught doing such things. But you're going to be over 100 platforms out, so the chances of that are pretty low, so just keep that in mind. You're doing it for the good of everybody, as as they said in uh, Starship Troopers. This, is, this one's for the species, boys and girls. So... <laughs> uh, it's one of those situations where they say, you know, in order to maintain uh, the Constitution, sometimes we have to go outside the Constitution or break the Constitution, you know, kind of idea. And uh, the players were like, oh, really? You know, we don't have to be the goody two-shoes we always planned on being. And, and they said, I said, whatever it takes. Now, of course, you're going to want to not do anything that it doesn't take, you know, you're still your characters, you still, you know, so see what you can do. So they travel out there and they get embroiled in the events that are occurring on on uh, uh, Faerun, on uh, Forgotten Realms, uh, trying to get these people to supply them with whatever they need in order to... Uh, to do this. And so there was a big trek across the whole world. And uh, that's part of what we wanted to talk about again was how the Fringeworthy were able to deal with the magical world that they were on. So based upon what Trav had already introduced in his adding Fringeworthy to Forgotten Realms, we said that uh, explosions are not, are, are, are possible in this world, but what we would consider normal explosions are forbidden by the gods. Uh, so anybody who tried to set off a modern explosive, fire a modern a handgun or a rifle or anything like that, all of a sudden, uh, big giant, uh, uh, and I say giant like, you know, D&D &D giant, like 20, 30 foot tall monsters started showing up, trying to beat the crap out of them, saying, thou has, you know, violated. <laughs> and they're all like, what? What are you talking about? So uh, they learned real quickly that they couldn't do that. Uh, as it is on that world, there are is actually this thing called smoke powder, which acts a lot like black powder. Yeah, it's a alchemical, alchemical mix made by the gnomes of Lantan, yes. 
Right. So if you got went and got your hands on that, you actually could could do that. So uh, you know, but they they didn't go that route. You know, instead uh, they uh, tried to elicit uh, large groups of 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 uh, people to basically you know get behind them and provide the support that they needed. Uh, uh, and, and, and come up with solutions that actually worked on this world. The other problem that they had was electricity didn't work. Uh, as, uh, you did have like electrical shocks and you had lightning, you know, as of the spells, lightning and whatever, but nothing electronic worked. So none of their gear, none of their computers, all the stuff that you usually use to say, hey, look at all this great stuff we'll give you if you help us out. So uh, they had to come up with other solutions uh, and at the same time, move as quickly as possible through the world, gaining allies. Uh, the one thing they didn't do as much as they really should have is they should have been finding more people that were fringeworthy. Uh, because, of course, it's going to be really hard to get people out onto the fringe paths to do what's needed to be done if you don't find fringeworthy. Because the whole idea was to come up with some kind of steady state solution that would work. But it didn't. It didn't involve them. Uh, you know, at least not them having to stay there forever. So when they they got there, they they had they basically had to deal with a lot of things that they previously didn't didn't deal with. Uh, for example, there was a lot of benefits. Magical healing was there. Uh, they had uh, there were people that could cast magic, who could do things like fly and levitate. Uh, there was uh, teleportation. That was a big deal. Uh, in the game, because moving around from place to place, uh, they first just tried to do it on foot or on boat, and it was taking literally years of real player time <laughs> going from place to place. Um, and uh, so once they basically found out that there were groups of people that had the ability to teleport whole nations from one one part of the continent to another, that really made a difference for them making this work. Uh, but they also had to come up with other solutions that, you know, essentially didn't involve basically trying to get around the limitations. So uh, one of the things that they ran into was body armor. Okay, uh, they uh, the Coptics, you know, they had been out on the fringe paths as long. Well, not as well. We, it was never. Uh, it's never quite clear unless you read Portals Four. But they've been uh, on the Friends Pass for quite some time now, and they had run into other, you know, into into worlds like the, uh, you know, the Tameller worlds, and they'd run into uh, the Queller, and they found out in my game system in, in my campaign, Queller had the ability to make Tameller plastic. They just squirt it out like a goo. They could form it into whatever you need, and so you basically have a limited amount of Tameller plastic, and so they had access to these guys. And they started making themselves body armor and environmental suits out of tamellan plastic. Oh, well, that's some good stuff. yeah. And then, uh, and then you got to the world, and uh, and because you didn't have gunpowder and things like that, having weapons that could do a lot of damage was very difficult. Uh, the the best weapons, of course, were magic. Okay, uh, we did have a few things with trebuchets and stuff like that, you know, or uh, you, know, you know, ballistas and siege weapons. Those did a lot of damage, uh, but 
they basically found themselves limited if they wanted to use firearms to using uh, air rifles, uh, basically um, high, you know, high-powered air rifles where you know it, it was the equivalent of a twenty-two caliber pistol. Okay, so in two D six damage, you know, um, and and a lot of times uh, that wasn't enough to get through that body armor. So you know, we we had one. So we had one side that you know, and and of course during this whole long campaign, the Coptics did reach their world, and they started going into it trying to take it over. The way the Coptics take over a world is that they go in and they find a strong man, uh, somebody who wants to become the ruler of the world, and they support them as long as they are given carte blanche to spread their religion, their beliefs, uh, you know, their form of Christianity. And usually, you know, the, the strong man's fine with that because they, they'll end up giving, you know, be, uh, because this is a much more, uh, more like the Crusades, you know, uh, very much crusader type. Uh, and so they would give them uh, modern weapons if they needed them. Uh, they would give them body armor if that would help. Uh, they would give them uh, modern drugs, just, you know, and uh, most worlds that they went to, uh, you know, it would be like most medieval worlds where they literally have nothing, like in our own world, where, you know, the the sanitation is, is terrible, people's clothing, armor is, it, the best armor is, of course, plate mail and stuff, you know, but it's really heavy. Um, so... And we've had a, a number of cases in the past where we found that if you give primitive people uh, really good body armor, they become an unstoppable force. They literally will just swarm a, an opposing force who are firing at them guns and arrows and things like that, and the stuff is bouncing off their body armor, and then just come up there and just beat the you know beat them to death. You know, or stab them or whatever. They they find that melee becomes actually better than uh, th- than firearms because the firearms are too weak to get through the body armor. Now we were using Savage Worlds as our game system, so you could you know max you know you could have your it was open ended dice system. So if you roll the maximum on a die, it you get to roll it again and maybe again and again and again. So there were casualties. I mean, not everybody survived. You know, it, it, the, the, it wasn't like you were in an impenetrable for, force bubble and stuff like that. So you know, people still did get killed and such, uh, but it was it, it, it was a huge change, okay? And, uh, of course, uh, uh, the body armor, because it was tamaro plastic, was also very resistant to uh, energy. It wasn't conductive, so, like, electricity didn't work. Fire was, was tough to work. Uh, get, if you were wearing an actual environmental suit using some kind of a, uh, um, I don't know, like like a uh, still suit compression thing where you moved your legs to pump air into your into the system so you could continue to breathe and keep out poison gas. The Coptics, their techno- their technique was pretty much to use poison gas. <laughs> they uh, uh, they came into this world. They convinced a red dragon. An ancient red dragon to be their to be their strong man, and proceeded to start taking over entire countries, because what they did was is that he lived up on this mountain with a huge plateau next to it, and they built an enormous 
shipbuilding place, and they built three giant, well, three dirigibles, big, you know, classic Hindenburg-sized dirigibles using uh, tamellarum plastic as the outer layer uh, to protect it, and, you know, and also really thin so it was light, and um, and tamel, you know, and tamellar on the inside, you know, spines and stuff to 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 hold the inside together, uh, using you know the idea of a, a modern a halo. Um, uh, fire suppression, all kinds of things like that. And then they had all these tubs, or, or I should say canisters, of nerve gas, mustard gas, all the fun stuff from World War I, ready to just drop on these people if they would not surrender. Well, the, th the, thing, the thing is with medieval um, warfare is that what was the one thing that protected the people more than anything? Those high castle walls. Well, if you have some form of air travel, those walls mean nothing because those castles were not domed. So, yeah, you if you were able to get over those walls, even, you know, a trebuchet sometimes, you know, occasionally a stray trebuchet shot could get over a wall and hit, you know, the inner buildings. But if you're there floating above, you can just keep dropping till the cows come home and mustard gas. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And, and see, in, in D&D, you know, uh, there's there's magic spells that produce poison gas, but they're very limited. In, well, cloud kill. Yeah. Right. But it's very limited in area. You know, they're they're dropping stuff and covering, you know, square miles of, you know, of poison gas. Everything underneath of it is dying. You know that that is being hit by this thing. So uh, they were very successful initially, and of course, uh, the the dragon being a dragon uh, went out and just basically dominated all the humanoids and said, "You're all on my, you're all on my army. Get over here and start listening to these guys." And they're like, "Yes, sir." Says you know the tree. Uh, says the, uh, the 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 evil giants. Yes, says the ogres. Yes, you know uh, all the creatures that you know uh, are. You know, the 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 gorgons and and the nagas and all those things they're all like yeah okay all right you know and 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 they like the idea that they're going to be in charge of all these humans that have been pushing them away and and being very effective shooting them with arrows and magic weapons and and uh, you know various spells like fireball and stuff like that and these guys are just mopping up everywhere they go. So the Frenchworthy had to deal with these guys, you know. But let me give you a little bit more on on the on what they had. So uh, they only had that, but see, they also had the ability uh, on the front of the dirigibles. They had they would fire napalm out of the front of it and just douse that down, oh. you know, into forests, oh. into uh, uh, into cities, to whatever. Again, they were it was all it was all uh, shock and awe. And uh, intimidation, and a lot of countries just basically after the first couple of major cities fell before them, without them really trying to do much of anything other than just fly over them, uh, you know, take down um, anybody who comes flying up them to stop them. You know, those heroes on the hippogriffs and and uh, Pegasus and stuff. Well, you know, they had air rifles, but they were like the equivalent of fifty caliber machine guns. So they were, and of course they could always ho they could hose them with the uh, napalm, um, and, uh, and and just just to make it even more special, it turns out because they're religious and they're on a religious world with gods and such, 
they had they had clerical powers. Oh, so you did the you don't need a god, you just need belief in a god. It's not like their Christian god came to Pharaoh and said, "Oh, I seem to have a population here. I shall grant those." No. So you went that route. Yeah. Belief gives you clerical power. Oh. Yeah, and and that also means that any clerical item they get their hands on, they can use. Now, what was a limitation for this particular group was the fact is that since they were clerical and because of their background, they weren't real keen on magic users. So they didn't incorporate them into their group. They incorporated lots of monsters that had magical powers, but they didn't actually use clerics. I mean, I'm sorry, mages, which meant there was a whole group of people that the uh, Fringeworthy decided to add on to their side. So basically this war was the Coptics with divine magic against your players with arcane magic. And with with a whole lot of of sneaky texts, you know, slipped in in between. Oh, that's right. You you told me they cited your players cited with the red wizards of Fae, and I and I even remember I just went, oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the, the bad guys, the guys that everybody hates because they're slavers and all this stuff, and, and they they topple governments if they're if it isn't to their benefit. But they're but they're ultimately in their at their base, they're traitors. They're uh, as in they they're in they're mercantile. You know they want to trade in their products and uh, and and be an economic force. They don't actually want to be um, uh, despots. Okay. However, of course, they do have a like I said, they are okay with slaves and and things like that. So that does you know if you're if you have a problem with that, uh, that's going you know the players had to deal with that fact that you know there was these people were big supporters of slavery. They had slaves. Um, and um, and there were times when slaves were used as kind of like cannon fodder, uh, but the the P, the PCs kind of got around it because they said, "Look, we don't want you to do that. Okay, we will hire all the mercenaries we can get our hands on. You guys, you're mages. You got you got like uh, raise undead. Let's make an army of skeletons and zombies and things like that." Okay, you could do that all. You could do that. That's fine. Okay, those aren't really people, and uh, you know I'm making air quotes here with the people thing. Okay, because I'm sure I'm sure that the white the whites had a lot of different points of view on that, <laughs> but not being people. But anyways, um, so yeah, they they had all that going. So I mean, this this literally was years long campaign that we've done this, where they we we uh, and and the the Thaeans were were like doing all kinds of experiments with with animals, and they they had uh, uh, they they actually tried to make their own uh, not lighter than aircraft, but basically like a flying aircraft, where they build a giant wickerwork type um, uh, thing, and they had giant bees. Attaching themselves to it and carrying it along, and it was as a kind of a dirigible, uh, because they'd heard about you know uh, about some stuff. But uh, that was that was their idea about how to do it. Uh, it, it wasn't lighter than air, of course, uh, and uh, but as long as nobody could uh, uh, nobody attacked the and of course the bees were a huge force to be reckoned with that they were trying to protect the 
the uh, their their hive substitute because they had uh, pheromone type materials that made the bees think that that structure was their hive and they would protect it as they flew it along. So, uh, anyways, the uh, so I, I mean I threw all kinds of stuff in there. They ran to the drow, ticked them off, so the drow refused to help them. <laughs> they did that a lot. Okay, they were constantly doing that. As Bruce was telling me, you know, a lot of times off mic about this campaign, I'm going to let you know there was a lot of face palming, and I'm not belittling Bruce's players at all. If you guys are, but I'm just like thinking as you know a 30 year GM plus myself, I'm just like there's so many other things they could have. Oh yeah, sure they could have. Okay, and and. Uh, I mean, uh, and the funny thing is, is that you know the the some of the first the first allies they made, uh, they they to- they totally never used them because they were on an island all the way out on the other side of a uh, uh, of the world. Literally, it was some little island continent uh, that had a portal that was dumping trash. Uh, oh yeah, from one of the alternates. Uh, uh, so into this world. And so they were flying all. Oh yes, the 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 American equivalent continent of Ankarome. Yes, yeah, right. So and it was all populated by lizard folk and a few other things. And so uh, and every so often uh, uh, a, a ship full of well would come in and collect all this junk and pay them something for it. You know, and they were they liked what they got paid, and they would then go back to. Uh, the main body of Faerun, the main continent of Faerun, and sell this stuff. So uh, every once in a while, they would run into some weird stuff, stuff that they recognized. They're like, where'd this come from? And it's like, well, yeah, it came through the various trading channels, you know, and, uh, but they, uh, it, it was, it was very funny. They, uh, uh, they, they, they got in a t- uh, two entire areas, just totally hating them. Uh, <laughs> you know, wouldn't do, wouldn't, basically would not help them at all. Uh, and uh, because they thought, A, that the, the, the Coptists could not possibly be in real danger to them, and B, uh, was because the, the player characters, you know, broke their, broke the thing, you know, basically did the things that they thought were the, wor- you know, the worst things they could do, essentially. They, their, their, their cultural, uh, uh, vi- you know, uh, violations, they, they did those. They broke some cultural taboos. Yeah, the taboos, you know, and it was a shame because there were, you know, they could have had a really big force of mercenaries from them. Uh, but they, but some of the characters did pick up some henchmen that were fringeworthy as a result of that, <laughs> because there were some, uh, and they took them with them, and uh, some of them they ended up saying, "Will you stay here and work on our behalf?" And as they continued to work their way around the world until they found out that the Coptics were actually there and were in the process of trying to take over the rest of the world, while they were busy trying to ally with those countries, the Coptics were trying to take over countries. So they had to really step up their game. And they're they're still preparing for the invasion while the invasion's already started. Yes, yes, yeah. the invasion had started. And the reason that happened was because after about two years of play, I said, okay, are you guys really enjoying this or do you want this to end? And they're like going, well, we don't want, we don't want to say like tomorrow ended, but we want it to end soon. So could you like, you know, I, and I said, okay, Coptics just showed up. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just all like, Bruce, not that damn quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
anyway, so they're, they're like, and they started finding out information because they had the Thayans, you know, the Red Wizards to be their spy network and stuff. And oh, that they found out all the stuff about the dirigibles, and they found out about the the big giant red dragon. They found out about all a bunch of other stuff. So they were like, okay, and 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 how what techniques they were using to to take over areas because, you know, after the first couple of places, after that, they basically had this giant army that they were just marching, you know, across the land, like Sherman, just, you know, uh, t taking everything, you know, it wasn't nailed down saying, if you want to eat, you know, your men folk better join our army because, you know, we're, we're taking everything and just taking over the world as, as, as quickly as they could. Now, of course they, they would also go and say, Hey, if you just, uh, 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 make a, a a not you know non-aggressive peace agreement and and agree to uh, uh, you know to to make your state religion you know uh, the Coptic religion. Uh, there's no reason for us to fight. We'll leave you in peace. And so there were a number of places that said, "Okay, <laughs> we're done. We're, we're we're not fighting." And so that also. You know, because now they didn't have to destroy things. Now they had a lot more people to add to their army. They had a lot of unspoiled, you know, crops and livestock and things like that. You know that that they could then go and uh, and use to feed their army and such. And that actually they were they were building steam quite a bit. The player characters are like, we have an ancient red dragon. Okay, how are we going to take on an ancient red dragon? And that's when. I said, well, you know, there's another world that's D&D &D that has people that fight dragons. And that's also on the Fringe Pass. And they're like, ooh. And we can actually go from this world to their world using the spell jammers, the, uh, the ships. Oh, yeah. And we're like, yeah, that's exactly true. So, but then they said, oh, wait, it's going to take two months to do it. Oh, that's too much time. We need to get there faster. So they decided instead to, you know, find another portal, some, try to do an end run around the, basically around the Coptics uh, that were already, you know, on the platforms. And uh, they, it was, uh, uh, it, it, it wasn't pretty, but they managed to get past them. And get back down to fringe paths, back toward our Earth Prime, and talk with them, and they and find out from the survey service where Corinne was, and and they went to it. And they said, "Oh, this is like really close to Earth Prime compared to where Faerun was. If the Coptics find out they can get back on the fringe paths from this world, they they're basically get, you know it's, we're not going to be worrying about this happening in fifty to hundred years. This is going to happen in the next twenty years." What are we going to do? So then they had to go to Corinne, and they had to convince them to 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 not deal with the Coptics, and uh, so and of course on Corinne, electricity does work. So all of their uh, their headsets and their computers and things like that were all working. The only thing, that, but they still weren't able to use like uh, explosives. That didn't work on that world at all. So, uh, but they did love the fact that they were able now to use their computers and things like that. And of course, while they're there trying to get the the people of Dragonlance to agree to you know be on their side and 
because uh, these are all prime worlds, uh, right? I think. Yeah, I, I made them where they were all prime worlds. Yeah, right. And uh, who, who do you think gets off uh, a, 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 a a spelljammer ship lands and guess who gets off of it? Oh, Jonathan. Uh, I'm trying to. Uh, no clue myself. I'm still ra- trying to wrap my brain around spell jamming working between. Well, it does because there's there's crystal spheres and they go between crystal spheres. Yeah, the rate. Yeah, remember Jonathan the radiant triangle where it's you can go from like you can go from like Kryn to Fair well, Rune, that, but you got to stop off at Greyhawk first. Yeah, I I, ne- I was I was never a fan of of spell jammer myself because it. To me, it seemed like they were trying to say that this was space. But if the phlogiston is like an interdimensional space, that kind of breaks all my expectations. And now I'm kind of reeling. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, I'll I'll, I'll tell you. The Coptics get off the boat. Oh, no! (laughs) So, well, by this point, the player characters were like, Oh hell no! We're nipping this in the bud, <laughs> and they literally—they—they they just assaulted them. I mean, they're getting off the boat, they're on the dock, and all of a sudden they're fireballing them. The the guy, the player, the giant robot is is uh, flying over and uh, and and stomping them and <laughs> stuff like that. You know, it was ugly. It was really ugly. Uh, they also had managed to make some headway with the uh, dragon riders. So at at the height of the battle, uh, a, a wing of the of the dragon riders shows up and just if you can imagine dragons just breathing one after another into the same area, annihilating, annihilating. We call it suborbital bombardment. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely suborbital bombardment. So. Essentially, most of them died. Uh, most of their equipment actually went up in flames from that. Some of them jumped into the water trying to escape, and they were finally, uh, they did collect a few. Uh, they actually saved after, you know, not everybody died. after they, uh, Because, again, we're playing Savage World, so um, if you get to zero, you're not, if you take a wound, you're not dead. You're just incapacitated. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and the the zero levels, the books or whatever, the extras, they can be, you know, they can survive. So they managed to get the guy who's the head guy there, the the uh, ambassador, he survived, and a couple of the other people uh, of his men survived, and they took them all over to the uh, big uh, 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 the big fortress where the dragon riders were. Uh, Palanthus and Salamnia, yeah. Yes, yes, and uh, uh, and they and, and basically what it came down to is that he demanded after he recovered, uh, and of course he recovered very fa- quickly because uh, he had magic, he had clerical powers, and so he just started he just healed himself, you know, and uh, and started demanding that he, he have a you know that that he, that that he be you know uh, this this basically illegal scurious and uh, attack upon us. The representative of a sovereign, a sovereign nation, you know, and all this stuff, and and what kind, what kind of borders they have, and and uh, he demanded the right to, uh, you know, trade and 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 have an embassy and all these things, and so we had a huge 
you know, uh, uh, thing with all the various lords and 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 um, uh, and merchant class uh, leaders and things like that, you know, over there at, at the the fortress, trying to decide what to do. Ultimately, uh, Greed war, uh, uh, won out, and uh, they agreed to let him uh, set up his embassy. At which point, the player characters, which included one of the characters who was a bioengineer, created a plague and killed them all off. Killed who off? Killed off the Coptics. Basically, they 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 they're operating in the late campaign, so they have. You know, they have basically cyberpunk tech. They basically made a, made a plague that was genetically uh, oriented toward the Coptic genome and killed them all off. Oh. Oh. Wow. Do, you know, we can't let them get, get a hand on this world. Now, they didn't stay long enough to find out if that actually worked or not. And actually, the guy who did it, the player character who did it, didn't tell the rest of the team he was going to do it. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, could be good, could be bad. It, it's possible that the uh, uh, that the, the the one guy, the uh, ambassador, might have been able to heal himself. Uh, but yeah, cure disease. Yeah, yeah, but definitely the rest of them weren't healed fast enough. I mean, it literally killed in hours. So uh, that that uh, pretty much uh, took care of that. Uh, now, like I said, he, uh, he didn't know where the exit to this world was. Uh, he might, you know, uh, you know, he figures that with the, if the fridge were there here, there's gotta be a portal, but he didn't know where it was. Um, and, uh, they had, uh, so they had managed to, uh, make sure he didn't have a crystal. So, uh, he didn't, he couldn't do the fine, he couldn't do the fine portal, and other things like that. So he might still be on Corinth. <laughs> okay. And as you know, it, it took months for them to get. So you know, what happened was is that as soon as the, the Coptics got to uh, Faerun and found out that there was this means of getting to another world, they sent a bunch of their people off to that world to, um, to start, you know, start interacting with them, start wooing the local strongman, what they normally do, okay? So those guys actually never knew about any of the events that happened on Faerun because they were two months in transit from Faerun over to Corinne. So it's uh, so this guy is like was totally clueless. They kept saying, oh, you know, what you've been doing and all this stuff. And he's like, what are you talking about? We haven't done anything like that, you know. I, I, you know, go ahead, use your your uh, 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 your your uh, read mind or your uh, uh, or your speak uh, speak the truth uh, magics. I'm telling you the truth. Uh, the Coptics have done nothing but you know try to enhance the life lives and 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 world and the people that we come into because. Those people, because the people he was in had not attacked anybody, had not made any poison gas, hadn't done any of that stuff yet. Yeah, that convenient, plausible deniability. It was very much plausible deniability. So he, so because of that, they also had that going for them because they, you know, they he he knew, you know, they they basically kept him in the dark, other than to say, go do your thing, do our thing, and and try to. Uh, uh, because most places, you just bring them advanced weapons and you bring them advanced 
uh, body armor and things like that, you've already given them everything they need to take over the world. So, you know, they were still operating on that principle that they were going to do that. And they figured they'd have to go back to Faerun and then get back on the fringe paths and, and, you know, set up some kind of trading thing where they would let them start bringing, you know, bringing massive shipments of, you know, weapons and, and other stuff. And, of course, printing presses and other things like that so they could promote, you know, get their, get their Bibles printed locally and, and, and get their uh, stuff happening and, and recruit people locally to spread, you know, the, the, the religion. Now, we haven't talked at all about the fact that this is worlds where there are gods. Okay, most of, uh, 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 most of these worlds you go to, in most science fiction type stories, gods are treated like they are treated by some people where they're legends. They don't really, you know, if they did stuff, they did in the past, and they went away. And it's, we don't worry about it because they just aren't around. But in these worlds, they're there. Oh yeah, in in Faerun, I think in Greyhawk, in Dragonlance, because you had Fizban the Wizard, who was actually Paladine. Uh, yeah, those three worlds definitely the gods walked the earth at one time or another. Now Eberron, no, they were all just ideas that no there were never any stats or from what i read in eberron no they did not have you know the gods were there but they never put out stats they put out portfolios so you knew what the gods were about but there were no records of ever oh the from eberron the dark six were in this land without, no they never yeah and of course eberron i don't think had or, uh, not eberron Galarian never had any gods walking around either, to my memory. But I know definitely yeah. the three original D&D worlds, gods walked those planets, especially on think, Fair Room. I think Athos from Dark Sun, it had gods, but they have left. They have completely abandoned the planet. Yeah, see, I would if I had known more about the Dark Sun setting, I would have I would have thrown that into my little mini series I did a few years ago. I just was not familiar enough with the setting. Only a couple of my players had ever played in it, uh, Eric the Enabler and uh, Carrie. But yeah, I definitely know the three original D&D settings. Gods were there and they interacted with the humans at one point or another in the history, very much so, as in massive battles. I think the land of purple sand in Faerun is... It's either due to wizards or gods why the sand is now purple. Right. Well, well, it's it's a wasteland anyways, and it's full of purple worms and things. And that was one of the people that they ran into uh, who basically ended up not, you know, didn't help them. It was There was like this epic level uh, druid who lived out there in the sands and, and basically uh, herded the, the purple worms around. <laughs> so... It's uh, but like I said, they they had I mean they I tried to bring them. Uh, I they spent most of their time on the wet the eastern side of the continent. So they were you know they they did they, they were in you know that that desert full of undead and the purple uh you know and and, and the the purple wastelands and yeah with the fey the feyans and the Rashomon women and yeah. And the Rosh, yeah. the, the you know the the weird women, the the the, the women of, of the of the of the witches of the circle, and yeah, that was the group that they basically got ticked off at them, 
the biggest, you know, not that and the, and of course the drow when they got down to you know near Thay, they there was these big plains and they ran into a bunch of drow there, uh, and uh, and 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 they literally, you know, the drow were trying to be nice to them because they uh, because the lizard men were all, were preying on everybody and the lizard men were considered to be the servants of the drow at least in the way I was interpreting it. And so the drow kind of felt like they got overstepped their bounds. And so they showed up and basically put the smack down on these tribes of, of lizard men that were preying on all the shipping and everything else that was going on up there and, uh, and took them down and, 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 and um, rescued them, <laughs> took them down to the underworld and, and they, they made their big pitch saying, you know, there's this great, terrible thing that's coming to your world and, and uh, we need you to help us stop it and we'll give you all these advantages and stuff like that. Of course, speaking to people who think they're the best things to slice bread is really kind of hard. Um, and they ended up uh, essentially insulting the queen of the trial and yeah. a bunch of stuff. And they ended up getting literally, you know, kicked out. Of the place uh, that was a, a couple of months of play that essentially went nowhere, but hey, it was it was fun to do, uh, and uh, and they ended they did end up getting a big huge pile of, of treasure out of it because they you know the, the drow were trying to make up for all the bad things that had happened, so they basically just dumped these big baskets full of potions and magic you know miscellaneous magic items and gems you know on them, saying does this make up for all that? I guess so, but we really need to talk to your queen. And, all right, that we'll do that too. And that's but that went ended very badly, and they ended up back trying to find somebody else to, to listen to them <laughs> after that, which turned out to be the the, uh, the Red Wizards of Thay, and who became their stalwart supporters, uh, who saw this saw these these uh, Coptics as a big threat. And they realized that, you know, because, you know, they're, they're used to magic technology, you know, and they, they understood that these people were bringing in new knowledge, and new knowledge always means an advantage uh, for one side or the other. So, uh, they, so the first thing they said was, we'll help you, but you've got to give us all these books you know that you're talking about on things called chemistry and physics and and uh, other stuff like that because see their periodic table had earth, fire, <laughs> water, <laughs> and air. Yeah, they were missing a few entries on their periodic yeah. table. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, and uh, I think they had wood. <laughs> periodic elements. Uh, anyways, uh, so. Yeah, so that was a big revelation for them uh, because a lot of that stuff worked on the world. Okay, the gods, see, here's the thing. The gods are not omniscient. You know, they, they actually, in many ways, don't know more than, the, than the, the people that have developed their own technology. They just decide whether they like it or don't like it. And then they put out these edicts saying, thou shalt not do this, you know, and, and you know, this is forbidden, you know, except for the the gnomes, because apparently they did something for the gods in the past, and they got a, you know. I'll, I'll do it real quick. Gond came to Earth. He fell on the shore of Lantan, and because the gnomes helped him, he said, "Okay, I'm going to give you this thing about, you know, techno magic and smoke 
powder. And yeah, I'm going to hook you up. Gon was like the god of knowledge and technology on Faerun. So he kind of hooked the gnomes up. Right. But nobody else can really do that, you know. Uh, so, so them getting this to them, this, this is all revelation because this knowledge, you know, because of the way medieval societies are, right? You know, everything's a, a, a guild or something like that. You know, the people that make steel, nobody knows how they make it. Nobody knows how the potters are able to keep their pots from exploding in the kiln. Oh, no, my, 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 my one friend, the aforementioned gamer, Carrie, she does stained glass and she's done, you know, the history on it. There were many stained glass artists who did their own certain things to like make the glass better or do better color or dyes. And they didn't share their secrets. Their stuff died with them a lot of times. Uh-huh. Yeah. It just that knowledge was not spread. They didn't store it because they wanted that advantage right. in the particular market. Yeah. Right. And and Faerun is just like that. And so is Corinne. Uh, most of these D&D type worlds, uh, fantasy worlds are that way. So they're basically you know, saying, hey, we're going to tell you everything about everything if you really get on our side and really support us because we're going to need a lot of support to take these Coptics out because we're just six people or four people and they've got as many people as they're willing to commit to this cause. Because for the Coptics, they were just, you know, they're just advancing, Okay. They're, uh, you know, they, they do try to put, you know, whatever's the bleeding edge of their empire, they do tend to put their forces there more than, than um, you know, keeping peace on the worlds that they've conquered, okay? But the point still is, is that they don't have an infinite number of people. And, and as, as when it came to the final battle, it turned out that they had a couple of hundred. That was, and that, that they actually committed a couple of hundred to this cause, but they had literally 10,000 uh, from this world, uh, from uh, Faerun, in their army, who had either been taught how to do stuff by them or were monsters or whatever, um, you know, with, with, by, you know by, through the leadership and intimidation and whatever of the dragon. Initially, the dragon went with them on their, their attacks, and basically anybody who came up and tried to attack them, all those guys on those Hippogriffs and Pegasus, well, ancient dragon breathing fire on you, it didn't last very long. Right. Mm, especially if they got three dirigibles backing them up. All who have, uh, like, you know, can spray uh, napalm. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Which, by the way, we also ruled that napalm is one, of the, is one of the few things that's hot enough to actually burn uh, uh, tamellan plastic. Ah, Okay, I mean, you could use take tamellan plastic and cook, you know, put it over a fire and cook a meal on it. Okay, but but uh, it's like thirty two hundred degrees is napalm, and that stuff was just you know it's not exploding, so it's okay, but it's burning, and so uh, and that that actually kind of turns some of the tide at, at, at the end. Uh, so like I said, so they were doing that, and they're. Uh, 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 Basically, trying to catch, they ended up trying to catch the uh, 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 again to come up with as much technology as they could. So, uh, how do you how do you think they countered? Uh, I don't know, since you guys have been listening to me, how do you think they countered the dirigibles? Hmm. All right. Well, dirigibles are still air aircraft. I mean, you could do. 
because you know you get the fan wizards to do oh control weather oh yeah or call lightning to just blow them out of the sky well remember light lightning's not going to work on the tamilan plastic because it's it's not conductive there's still things you can hit with a lightning bolt on it that will well, I know first listening, and there was the adventure where her priestess was using call lightning to blow air, you know, flying air cars out of the sky, just one after another. So yeah. Oh no, no, control winds, control weather on the on the air support. That's always a good way to take them out, either to destroy them entirely or just take them out of the picture. Uh-huh. Yeah, if you blow that dirigible about half a mile that way, it's going to take them time to get back to the battle. Right. During that time, that's one less dirigible you have dropping bad stuff on you. Okay. Uh, let's see what else. Because they did have magicians. Uh, oh, God, let's see. What on that episode, I think, weren't you mentioning building uh, steam-powered aircraft? Indeed I did. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. They built steam-powered aircraft. Uh, there's actually a YouTube video which actually shows a steam-powered aircraft. And this thing basically flies like a bat out of hell. Now, obviously, it doesn't fly very long, okay, because it's, it's going to run out of water, you know. But it, um, but it's it's, uh, it, you know, it was a prop engine, you know, and and it worked really well. Well, because IDET has Bureau Thirteen, they had something that everybody else didn't have, which was well, which they could have had. You know, theoretically, but they went to Bureau 13, which is used to dealing with tech and magic at the same time, and they built these things, A, out of tamelar and plastic, okay, so they were very light, uh, but then they also had these steam engines, and they put all the water and fuel for them in a 13th pocket, oh, yeah, that's <laughs> right, yeah, there's no weight, so, because uh, originally I said, well, maybe we could come up with some kind of thing where it's like, you know, it, it, it's, it's really hot and it runs off a, of, you know, heated air and stuff like that. And I said, well, okay, you know, that's, uh, I was say, well, how about something a little simpler? Uh, because we already have a steam powered robot that we're using because it comes from a world where they had clock, uh, clockwork robots back in the time of Edison and such. They really hadn't used electricity. They got It got converted over to nuclear power, but because it was on the French pass, it always had the ability to fall back to steam when it needed to. So it was, that, and that's what the player character, when I said, was using his, his uh, steam-powered robot to go and attack the Coptics. So he got to do that. Um, so so they, they, they were, um, uh, they, they built these, uh, basically attack uh, planes. And uh, and what they did was is that they they put big bladders of napalm on the underneath of them, uh, and the idea was that they were going to fly over the dirigibles, drop them on the dirigibles, ignite, and literally burn down into the dirigible, destroying all the inflation bladders as they went, forcing the dirigibles to land, where then they they'd be sitting ducks for them to to do whatever else they wanted to do, okay? Uh, that was their idea. What actually happened was they did do, uh, one guy actually did do this and drop it on one of the dirigibles. It lost a, a whole lot of, of, of power on the front end. Uh, you know, but then 
the, the, uh, there were three there were three of these planes, and so two of them decided, well, this is taking too long or something. I don't know what their thoughts were, but they decided to instead ramming power because <laughs> they said, look, we're made out of tumelarin plastic. They're made out of tumelarin plastic, but they're a real thin sheet, okay? And we're like, you know, made like a plane. So we should be able to punch through the tumelarin plastic and cause all kinds of trouble to them, you know, and actually, you know, even set on fire because, you know, uh, all the fuel. And they did that. They literally just, they, they flew up the Immelman and came crashing down onto these dirigibles and embedded themselves in the dirigibles and start inside and started setting them on fire. So, so that happened, <laughs> okay? The final thing that happened was the last guy said, the dragon shows up, the ancient red dragon. And he says, he does the same thing. He says, I'm going to do a kamikaze attack with my plane. Travel. I'm going to, I'm going to put it at full burst. It's going to go, it's going to be traveling at 300 miles an hour, you know, full burn. And I'm going to slam right into this dragon <laughs> and kills it. Falls from the sky. Boom. So does this plane, by the way. He leaps out of the plane at the last second and, manage, and, and, and uh, manages, manages to get caught by one of the uh, uh, Karin uh, uh, dragon uh, riders who were, uh, you know, were, who were basically harrying the dragon at the time. You know, they, were, they were doing their job, which was to fight the dragon. That's why they were there. You know, they were, they, they, uh, we had transported this enormous uh, uh, Karin army over to um, to Feyrun using a gate spell, and uh, and they were all there fighting the dragon, fighting another dragon actually who showed up because the dragon has wasn't wasn't they weren't supposed to be fighting when when they actually got attacked, uh, so the dragon went over to visit a cousin in a nearby mountain when all of a sudden <laughs> <laughs> they get this message saying, we're under attack, you need to come over here and help us out. So he says, come on, let's check it out. <laughs> All of a sudden, these two dragons are getting attacked by, dra- by uh, dragon lancers who've never, been attacked, who've never been attacked by anybody that formidable in their lives. So it was, it was a, a bit of a shock. This, the, the, the cousin ends up running for his life. The other dragon dies, but then ends up getting wished back to life by the Coptics. Uh, even though they're they're against using magic, they still decide to use a wish ring to wish him back to life, and uh, so he he reappears back in in his lair, way away from all this. They also find out that uh, druids are not to be trifled with. Oh no, no, no! Because there was this there's this, this one druidical elven guy in this elven forest. That's just south of uh, of Am, and he's called and I called him the King of the Forest, and he basically said nobody is allowed to kill anything in this forest. If it does, you'll receive the ire of you know the King of the Forest, and it'll be bad. Okay, so of course the uh, the Coptics start foraging, and And they, and they get attacked, and of course they go, okay, fine, have a little mustard gas scarecrow, 
and start dropping poison gas down onto the uh, onto the forest. And all of a sudden, the forest comes alive because guess what? Things that are not things that are mammalian, yeah, they don't do very well with mustard gas. But a lot of other things like insects and all the things that are made out of actually animated wood, like tree ants, like tree ants, yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, and uh, and 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 swarms of insects and things like that. Well, that dirigible basically gets grabbed, dragged down. And, uh, and and insects are trying to find any possible hole to get inside and attack everybody inside. Uh, it's pretty ugly. It's uh, it's it's one of those things where uh, you don't want to you don't want to look at it too much. So it's the whole it's the whole thing of I recognize that feminine scream of panic anywhere. That would be the captain of that optic dirigible. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> and, and the good thing is, is that it ends up being the only dirigible that still works at the end of it. Because they basically killed everybody inside, the dirigible itself wasn't actually damaged, you know, except right. except a little bit in the front where they or they basically got into the cockpit, into the bridge. But so the the player characters actually the PCs actually used this. Uh, they they were going to use this to uh, uh, to go back. Let's see, did they? Yes, they they um, they they basically you know got this. They filled it full of stuff and soldiers. They got they got a lot of mercenaries from Om. They they did all kinds of stuff after this was all over. And they basically they they basically ended the uh, the army of the Coptics. They they just they got demolished with all the things they came in with all the wizards of Thay, all the uh, the mercenaries from south of Thay, uh, all the undead. Uh, the king of the forest. They gave up after the dirigibles went down, which was the unbeatable force that had basically been the 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 the, the banner. You know, it was literally when the when the dirigibles went down, the banner that everybody rallied against wasn't there anymore. And all those people that were that were basically uh, all those humanoids and mercenaries and people who had been uh, indentured into service. You know, as as uh, tribute for being for having been brought into the the new emp- the new Coptic Empire, uh, they were like, we give up, you know, we surrender. Uh, they they also had that same problem with uh, the poison gas uh, being uh, dropped on some of their guys. As you said, the wind blowing the wrong direction that uh, that wasn't so good either. So basically, magic, ver- you know, not just magic, but the entire all the Things that were in this world when they were allied against the Coptic 1950s technology was actually still able to defeat them, you know, and they were able to defeat that force. And then all they had to do then is go back and mop up, you know, essentially break, you know, uh, that stronghold, uh, go back and either kill the 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 dragon again or. Uh, kill the rest of the Coptics, which brought us a whole nother battle because we made another gate. They went through that. They found themselves as you know at, back at the shipyards. Uh, there was a huge battle with napalm everywhere, and and all these uh, remaining humanoids that were in the place. And they had actually made missiles because they also discovered, hey, missiles aren't explosions. No. Oh, so you're just getting hit with a massive flying object coming at a straight line. You're just getting hit with concussive force and pure kinetic energy. Right, pure kinetic energy, right, yeah. 
So they were basically, and, and you know, some of them actually did have, you know, some napalm on them too, you know, in, in the head. But mostly, they were when when the dirigibles showed back up again, they fired they fired the missiles at the dirigible, that you know, to, to take to take it out. And um, anyway, and, and it did get taken out, but they they got out of it and. Uh, they jumped. They jumped out of the bottom in their squirrel suits and flew down to the ground. And uh, it was crazy, you know, using a using a feather fall to stop at the last minute, you know. And uh, uh, it was it was a lot of fun to um, to to see the, the the again the magic versus tech in, in a in a combat situation because uh, they were uh, because some of it I gave them. Like the 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 ship, you know the the the, pl- the planes and stuff, but they'd already used them up. The rest of it, they had to do all by themselves, and they did. They came up with all kinds of creative ideas about how to use this dirigible and to take and to bombard the uh, shipyards while the, uh, the 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 wizards of of Thay were you know use fireballing and and lightning bolting all the remaining uh, defenses because the entire area of of, of the shipyards. Had been put under a hallow spell, you know, separate hallow spells. Ah, yes. And they basically didn't allow any teleportation inside there. No creatures like um, elementals and summoned things like that. Nothing summoned could could appear in there. And also, they they basically said no uh, no fireball attacks would work. No ma- fire fire type spells would work. So. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, because they because they they were playing on using napalm to spray it all over the effect, opposing forces and things like that. But what happened was is that they ended up exploding all those tanks, which were under high pressure and just blowing napalm everywhere. Oh, oh, burning the entire shipyards. So, so they they basically cleaned that out. Now they're doing the last part right now in, in, in the current adventures, going into the actual cave, into the lair of the dragon, and finally resolving this. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.